Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The thing about personal finance is it's not black and white. It's not gray. It's colorful. We often get into these debates online with our friends, with our family. It's all about would you rather this or that? And some of us get rusted on to our opinions, our views, the way we've always done it. So when someone decides to do something another way, you think, oh, how could they do that? Well, they're doing that because that's what they do. And conversely, if you make a decision and do something, someone else might be like, why are you doing that? Because that's what you've decided to do. Today on the show, we are talking about would you rather? And John and myself, we're just talking about common things that we discuss in personal finance circles, and we're going to have an informal chat about that and just shoot the breeze and hopefully teach you one or two things along the way. My name's Glenn James. You're listening to My Millennial Money. John Pigeon, My Millennial Property. Would you rather be on this podcast or the property podcast, number one? (laughs) Well, I'm going to respond by saying it depends. It depends, yeah. It depends is usually a, a big answer when it comes to financial treatment of, yes. a, of an issue, medical treatment, whether you are a plumber and you need to do a renovation on a house. There's no one way, is it? Because no. it actually depends. It does. And it gives you time to answer the question as well. Exactly. <laughs> so, while we tread water a little bit here, John, the first one I want to discuss, would you rather- And we'll say at the moment, like in this climate, Mm. would you rather a principal and interest mortgage or an interest only mortgage for, and we'll talk about the home to live in and then we might talk about investment properties. Yeah. Yeah. Look, hard and fast principal and interest on our home to live in every day of the week for me. So, that's a come winter, come summer Come good mama or yeah. whatever. The, I'm just making up sayings here. Yeah. Look, and why would you encourage others to do that if John the property guy would rather that himself? Well, look, it's it's traditionally your biggest asset you'll buy mm. and it's non-deductible debt. So, you want to pay that down as quick as possible. Now, there's an argument to say interest only, put the rest in the offset and you're offsetting any of the interest anyway, but- your principal and interest comes with a lower interest rate generally. So you've got a lower interest rate, you're paying down the loan, it's a feel good because we want to get rid of that debt on our own home and uh, the only extreme exception to that is if the mortgage repayments are too high, they've increased to a point where I'm going to be out on the street if I don't change it so I need to refinance to interest only. The interesting part about that is most lenders will say, well, you can't afford interest only so you need to stay on P&I. Actually, John, while you were just chatting there, I brought up the Commonwealth Bank interest rates and we are recording this on the 12th of the 1st, 2023. But the standard variable rate with the wealth package with a loan to value ratio of 80 to 90% with CBA principal and interest 5.49 and 
Interesting. They don't let you do interest only with that LVR, but with a 70 to 80% LVR, we'll use that. The standard P&I is 4.92 and the interest only rate is 5.41. So that's around half a percent. Was it ever more than half a percent or is it closed a little bit? Uh, probably not too much more. Now, we've always budgeted on about half a percent difference. So, there's no reason really as to why we wouldn't pay P&I on our own home. Yeah, because the the rate is nominal and you've got to live and pay rent anyway. And yeah. most of the time, the price you pay for rent is often the same price as you'd pay for a mortgage, particularly when yeah. the rates were a bit lower. Yeah. But the problem was always getting the deposit to get into the market. Yeah, that's right. And and we've always spoken about the whole 30% of your total um, take-home. Well, when you look at that and if it's if it's at 50%, well, yeah, there might be some mortgage stress going on, but you still want to crack down on that mortgage, don't you? Absolutely. And just if your mortgage is like over 5%, well into sixes, mm. it's probably worth having a chat with your bank or lender or mortgage broker um, if you haven't had that chat in some time. Yeah. But, you know, would you rather P&I versus interest only when would you do an interest only, John? Yeah, well, for me, it's always been interest only for my investment properties. Really? Yeah, yeah. So, and I know we've battled with this over the years, you and I. Mm. But uh, yeah, again, coming back to, well, we want to pay down our bad debt before our good debt. So, as long as we've got bad debt in our life, we want to be focusing all of our energies towards that. Now, some might say, well, I want to pay P&I because I don't have my principal place of residence. The question I then ask is, well, are you going to have it anytime soon? And if you are, don't you need to be saving funds for that? Mm. So, yeah, I, I, again, that's that's just my assessment is interest only, put all your resources towards your P&I on your principal. Yeah, for me at the moment, because I'm rent vesting, yeah. all my properties are on principal and interest. And I've always had my investment properties on principal and interest. Mm. And that's great with no kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. I think if you can afford to do it and you haven't got your principal place, it makes absolute sense to do it because at the end of the day, we do want to get rid of our mortgages and have no debt or very little debt come lifestyle phase of our life, which is retirement. Mm. So if we're listening in saying, well, I'm five years from retirement, Absolutely, we should be paying P and I. But I suppose I'm talking to the majority that are just getting a start, uh, getting their. They're not far into their own home mortgage. They've maybe got one investment or two or three. Uh, if we're paying P and I on all of those plus our PPR, I just think more energy can be put towards paying down our bad debt. I think for me, the caveat was that my principal place of residence it always was going to be an investment property mm. and that's – but my strategy was I would rather also pay principal on every property. Yes. And it, that's a that's a more of a financial decision and a feel-good position rather than a strategic number-crunching yeah. book-smart decision. And, and also handling risk. Yeah, and, and the reason I've done that is – Principal and interest, you usually do pay more in terms of your cash flow. I knew that it's an extra layer of protection and buffer yeah. 
if things got really out of control and tight, yeah, I do have one lever to pull, and yes. that is to pause the principal things. And yeah. and maybe it was more of a thing because I am self-employed. Mm. I've got my emergency fund, and the properties are on principal and interest. Yeah, so and I've I got extra protection and buffer there. Maybe for you, self-admission that if I'm putting it away and paying down a loan, I'm not spending it. And that's that's what I've said as well. Like for me, hi, I'm Glenn James. I'm a recovering spender. Yeah. If it's near me, it grows legs. Yeah, yeah. And gets spent. So I'm actually, and that's the funny thing, guys. With your behaviour and your money, someone might say, "Oh, Glenn, you can do so much more with your money if you did interest only on the investment properties and then save the rest of the cash." You like maybe I'm doing better with my money because I've optimize my behavior yeah and in 20 years time trust me i'll be okay so okay so let's play this out for a second if you're a client of mine i might say to you okay your investment property is interest only you've got your principal place of residence here make a thousand dollars extra repayment on your principal over here to get rid of that bad debt and also keep it out of your mitts yeah, and, and that's what I mean. For me, it was different because my principal place of residence that I was living in, I didn't want to pay extra down other than the P&I because I knew that I'd be moving out yeah. one day. Yeah. So, look, it's all – these it are just things. Yeah, it depends. And all I would say is when you make a decision, you need to be informed enough to hang your hat on that decision. Now, there was a time for me when I was starting my business – that I put my home on interest only as soon as I bought it because business was just taking off. I needed as much cash flow in the business. And at the time, there wasn't a real difference between P&I and interest only. Yes. But that, that's a million years ago now. Yeah, what year was that? 15. So that's seven, well, nearly eight years ago now. So mm. the climate's changed from mm. a lending perspective. The banks don't like you paying interest only on your principal place. Yeah, and they did at the time. Yeah. And then I think it was the first two years I did interest only Yeah. because I, I did the numbers like that extra 300 a week or whatever it was, um, I can use that in my business and, you know, if I can survive doing the business, it will be all good. So mm. would you rather principal and interest versus interest only it depends. <laughs> <laughs> it depends. Now, just to just to round that out, mm. a four hundred and fifty k mortgage, let's say five percent. Yeah, and just while John's putting those numbers in, I was having a chat today to somebody, oh, a physio that I was at, and we were talking about interest rates. And he said, "Oh, Glenn, what do you think is going to happen with interest rates uh, in the long term, in the short term?" And I said, "Look, I don't know, but I do know one thing." What we've seen over the last six years is not normal over the course of a 40-year span. Mm. It was always going to increase from 0.1% at the RPA. Yeah. So if you look longer term, 4, 5, 6, 7% for your home, it's probably still considered quote-unquote cheap money. Low. Yep, absolutely. So now that I've done those calcs, so 5% on a 450K loan P&I, Two four one five per month. Two four one five. Yep. If we enter interest only, we apply the point five. So our interest rate is now five point five. Our repayments are two oh six two. So it's it's three hundred fifty three dollars more per month to pay principal and interest. Mm. No brainer. Yeah. Uh, but again, that changes as your mortgage loan amount mm. changes. So, but anyway, sticking on the would you rather, and I hope this just gives you food for thought, everyone. Where it 
just John's table here having a chat. He's sitting down like a slacker and I'm standing because sitting's the new smoking. Wants the power over the top. Want the power over the top. Would you rather, Johnson, fixed versus a variable home loan? Ooh. What? So just you, you're talking with people every day about property. Yes. I would say most of your clients are using debt to buy said property. You wouldn't have that many clients except that guy who I introduced you to who goes, oh, I've got a spare $5 million that I don't know what to do with. <laughs> I introduced him to John and John went on a shopping spree. But so most people that you work with day in, day out are using debt. Mm. Yes. How do you frame the discussion with fixed versus variable home loans? And we'll just talk principal place of residence. Yeah, so high level variable gives you flexibility, fixed gives you certainty. Sweet. Next one. <laughs> <laughs> now, if we fixed 12 months ago or two years ago for five years, well done. You've, you've got a better rate. It's sitting probably in the twos or, yeah, early twos. And you, and I've seen some 1.86s that are about one, to roll off. Which is pretty cool. But understanding that generally we don't beat the banks over the long term and you have less flexibility in the sense that we, we mightn't be able to put money in offset accounts. Some banks allow you to, some don't. Some have a cap on how much you can sit in there. We can't refinance because we're in a fixed period and if we try to refinance, we, we have a break free. So there's a lot of restrictions around having a fixed loan. Uh, a variable loan, on the other hand, gives you flexibility to refinance to another lender it gives you the ability to change the rate. If you, if you see the rates come down, you can uh, argue with the banks to get a better a loan um, and you also have money to put in the offset account unlimited to offset the debt that you've got there. So I'm probably variable majority of the time. However, I did fix some uh, just in the last probably two years knowing that only way was going to be probably up with the interest rates in the climate that we're in. So uh, what about you? Yeah, I I can only speak to this from my own experience and number one, my own experience around hearing a lot of economists. I've met and we've had them on the show before. A lot of economists will say they'll only do floating rate, yeah. which is the variable because like you said, can't beat the bank. In terms of the fixed, when I was the first home buyer, because you said that certainty, right? When I got my first property, I did... I think 70% of the loan was fixed, interest only. 30% of the loan was variable, interest only. Because when you buy your first home, it is a daunting, scary task. I'm not going to lie, guys. It's, the, it's a big deal. Emotionally, you're about to sign up to carry this debt for the next 25, 30 years. That's not a thing that naturally, in terms of, in the wild and evolution or whatever that primitive thing is yeah. that a human is used to carrying. So on a human level, that's a big thing. So for me, it was more about I'm doing all this stuff over here with my business. I'm scared because my first mortgage was $525,000. Mm -hmm. I'm scared. I just need some control and to know that the most part of my mortgage is not increasing. So and that was at 5%. Yeah, when I so did that. 5, was it? Yeah. And it started to go down. <laughs> and then as I got more comfortable, when rates got really low, it actually was a no-brainer to break the fixed and refi at a low. So all that to say, yes, you get the flexibility with the variable, 
but the fix will give you certainty. Or if you want to rewind the clock three years and borrow more money than God and put that on fixed, that's the best way to do it. The thing is, a lot of you listening, and it's been in the media, you know, coming into this year, there is a big mortgage cliff happening. There's people that are paying 1.8%. They're going to wake up one day and their mortgage repayment will double. The thing is, you've got the getting while the getting's good, but you've got a big shock coming. Yes, you have. I like the hybrid version of a percentage fixed and a percentage variable. It just gives you- You a just hedge if you're unsure. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so John, if someone said to me, oh, Glenn, I'm about to get a new home at the moment, mm. should I fix or should I uh, be variable? Well, I'm just looking here. A four-year fixed with CBA is 6.5%. You might say, I'm actually happy to pay a little bit higher for half of my mortgage just for the comfort factor. But like any decision, before you make a decision, you need to really understand if in doubt, don't. If in doubt, hedge. If in doubt, learn more and understand it more. Yeah, and, and understand that your mortgage broker or your bank are, pro- are probably not going to say, I think you should do this. They're just going to give you what's available and you can make an informed decision around that. So, mm. yeah, and, and why we say you probably rarely beat the banks is like you've just uh, outlined, what the fixed rate offering now is is way above what you actually can pay. So there's a bit of catch-up time. You might pay six and a half now, but you're probably a percent over what you would be paying if it was variable. Now, we need that to catch up and go past that six and a half for you to be in front. John, ask me what rates are going to do in the next 12 months. Glenn, what are rates going to do in the next 12 months? Well, John, I don't know because I can't read the future, but I do know one thing that we can only control what we can control. So, you know, if you are getting your first home, if you are buying your first investment property, you just need to make sure that you've got a good money management system and you've got buffers in place. Not more complicated than that. John, would you rather rent vest or be an owner occupier? Now, you've done both. Yes. I've done both. What are the benefits of both here? And we will get into some more fun stuff, um, but we're just covering this big property stuff first. Yeah, the big stuff because Glenn loves property. Love it. So, uh, first 15 years of my adult life, I rent-vested and I quite enjoyed that. I didn't know where I was going to be long-term. I didn't feel as I wanted to buy my own home to live in. It was cool to rent. I could choose where I wanted to rent. I could move on to a new house or a new region as I please pretty much. So, I like the flexibility of that, uh, but was able to invest at a price point that I was comfortable with anywhere around the country in the meantime. So that worked for me. There's no, again, one size fits all, but the owner-occupier gives you, again, certainty and it gives you uh, a roof over your head, especially if you're bring, bringing up a family and it gives you a place to to basically call your own and do what you want. You can paint the walls, you can put up a new fence, you can extend, you can do whatever. So pros and cons for both. But as you said, we've both done both. And if I had my time again, honestly, don't think I'd change. I, I just, the rent that I was paying was much cheaper than the mortgage I would have had as an owner occupier. Now, I will say if you are new to the podcast and you do not know what rent vesting is, I apologize for not dropping that in earlier. It's basically saying that you rent where you want to live and you do your investing elsewhere. 
So you've left home or you've left your parents' house or whatever, you're a young adult, you go, I'm going to buy my own house. The question is, is your own house going to be for you to live in? Or is the question, I'm going to buy a house as an investment property and rent where I want to live? John, there could be a bit of a hybrid model there with you buy a place and you have friends rent off you. Correct. But you've got to be able to stand up and service the mortgage on your own income because they can't use borders income as servicing when you are borrowing. Or, or you could, the, the other hybrid which wasn't around when I first started was getting some first homeowner concessions, living in it for 12 months and then taking off Yeah, elsewhere. so like anything, would you rather rent vest or own occupier? It all goes back to your strategy. But what it does, John, as well, I think this is more of a consideration for people who are living in within 25, 30 kilometers of a capital city. Would you say that's a fair comment? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> well, well, okay, let's, let's walk down this road. Yeah, let's do this. Melbourne. Let's yeah. go Melbourne. Um, you have a job in the CBD. Yep. Your parents have a home at Camberwell. Mm-hmm. I just know that suburb or Toorak yep. or premium near, suburb. Near Hawthorne. All that stuff, right? You grew up there. You've got a job in the city. You're starting your career. I want to buy a home. Now, it's going to be really hard for me to buy a home as my first home and pay one, one and a half mil, two million dollars, right? Yes. I can probably afford to service the rent in the premium pockets yes. or close to the city. So, by default, if I do want to buy a property, it can't be where I'm living right now. Unless it's a one-bedroom unit or a two-bedroom yes. unit or something like that. Yep. But I think, and this is the interesting part about the media, it's like, well, housing affordability has gone through the roof and it's now unattainable for, for people to buy where they want to live. Well, hello, the previous generation couldn't live where they wanted to live either. They had to work their way up to those type of suburbs. So uh, it's, we've got to understand what's reality. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, for me, I set up my strategy with when I bought my first home to live in it, I set it up, had the offset, mortgage, P&I, all that stuff. And well, interest only then, you know, P&I. I always set up that property that I wasn't going to, quote unquote, live in it long term. Yeah. I knew that one day I would outgrow it and it would be an investment property. So, as part of the buying strategy, can you do something where I like living here, it's a good location, it's a decent property it's a, a leapfrog to the next thing and setting up your property strategy so you don't have to sell it ever. Yeah, totally. And and on the contrary, I've met clients that have actually continued to buy their own principal place and sold every time. So they've, they've paid no tax because your principal place is capital gains tax-free mm. when you sell and they've just continued to upgrade their principal place to the point now where they're in the suburb they want to be. Um, that just means you've pretty much just got one property at a time and you're trading one for the other. Yeah. Whatever that's, floats your boat. And that's right. Like I set up my housing strategy, my property strategy. So my next property when I moved from here at Blue Bay, we're at John's office today in Long Jetty, I had the option to rent or buy. Yeah. And I took my own advice. I wanted to live in an area first and yeah. rent in there and if I like it, I'll then buy. look to buy yeah, which perhaps is this year. So, there And is. I did that as a personal growth thing as well to rent vest. Mm. Just there was something freeing in after living in a place for seven years and owning it to 
stretching myself and becoming a tenant again. Yeah. And, and there's something weird and it depends on your personality but if you buy your own home and it's a like, – let's say it's a three-bedroom and you've got two of your friends in and you're in your 20s. Mm. Some don't like the idea of that because other people are living their home and watch the walls, don't scratch anything like all those sort of things. Whereas all three of you go and rent together, it's not your house and you're just all equal in there. So there's a bit to play in that as well. Yeah. Hey, we'll take a break and we'll come back and then I want to ask John a hypothetical one last quick funny question about property and then we're going to talk about traveling first or family first, cash for cars or a car loan. We'll talk about um, health insurance versus not having it and we'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome back. We are sliding into the community segment, DM. This is a segment where we talk about you and what's going on in your life. This segment is brought to you by Sky. Sky has helped over 1,000 of our community members get covered for their income protection, their life insurance, all the stuff that you've told us that you want to sort out this year. Book in your free 15-minute chat today at sky.com.au forward slash MMM and see how the team at Sky can help you get protected coming into 2023. We asked the community, what do you love about your job? Amy Cree said, I help people daily, meet different people, and it aligns with my values. I never feel like I waste a day. Wow, the, the values stuff. thing's huge. Actually, the book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money, I think the first chapter is on values. Perfect. Because imagine going to work at a place each day. Yeah. <laughs> And didn't line up with your values. It would be a very crappy vibe for your life. Yes. Be like working at a pub if you didn't like alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. What else we got there? Uh, Emma Jane says free gym. Mm. So maybe a personal trainer or something but gets to use the gym for free. Well done. Brad Richard, industry accountant, insane amount of flexibility Super supportive director report and boss, opportunities to learn and grow, great culture and colleagues, employees recognized and well remunerated, literally the best job. That's very impressive, those high praises coming from 
a very old school industry. Yes. Because sometimes, you know, the accounting and money world can be a bit stale, pale and male as they say. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's right. Shout out to all those beautiful accountants Mm, out there. Love it. Courtney France, she loves that work stays at work. I never have to answer emails or calls about work stuff on my own time. Maddie Brown, the work environment, people want to be there and they want to come to work. It's a common thread there with the um, the value stuff and um, the culture, isn't it? It is, but also interesting the whole employee versus business owner mindset. Like I, I think it's very hard to distinguish your own time and your business time as a business owner, whereas employee, it's quite easy, isn't it? This is the time I finish, mm. and this is the time I start the next day. Dev Raga, hey Dev. What are you doing lurking around our Facebook group? lurking. It's a reliable income earner. It's one of the few professions which is always open for 24-7. So works at 7-Eleven? Yeah, Yeah. that's right. (laughs) No, he's in the hospitals. If I felt like earning extra income, it's always open to work more and pay the extra bills. Few professions offer this level of flexibility. And if you haven't heard, Dev has a podcast, which the name is changing. Is it? It's changing to My Millennial Money Professional. Right. From My Millennial Money Medical. Dev will probably still use the examples of Amy the doctor or Amy the nurse and all yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, we're just um, changing that. But nothing else will change. He has complete say over all the content. It's basically his show. Go on there, Dev. Kim Pearson, working four 10-hour days instead of five eight-hour days. Having the extra day off has been incredible for my mental health as well as organizing my life. And I believe someone close to me has done that just recently. Really? Yeah. What? Gone to a four-day work week. Oh, us. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I think we'll probably end up keeping the four-day work week. Yeah. Everything's getting done, I think. Hmm. Joshua Michael, he loves that he calls the shots. Chris MC, new boss is an actual leader and mentor that wants me to learn and grow. Yeah. Great stuff. That's good. Uh, Chris Harris, roster. Works six months a year, work isn't hard 99% of the time, has good flexibility, pays well, good team. I have no interest in moving up the ladder or any other workplace politics, uh, politics <laughs> <laughs> early on the year. Wow, six months a year. Yeah. Actually, I had a cousin, I still do have a cousin, but he worked on the ships uh, and he would do yes. six, six on, six off. Sounds like that, doesn't it? Yeah. Which, good and bad, right? Like how cool would it be to have six weeks off at home but then you're away on a boat. Yeah, especially if you've got family. Yeah, yeah. and he did. Mm. Still does. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's all for the community segment of the week. We ask questions in the Facebook group. We'll read out your answers and make some commentary on it. And the community member of the week is brought to you by Sky. You've said this year that your number five thing from following our census was to get your income and life insurance sorted. You can head to sky.com.au forward slash MMM and book a 15-minute chat to see how the team can help. Thanks, Nate. Bump us out. All right, John. Here's a cheeky one. Would you rather have a bad tenant or a bad landlord? If you could, if you had to pick one. Yes, I reckon no. I would rather have a bad tenant than a bad landlord. What do you reckon? Really? Yeah. Mm, no, nah, I, I I think a bad tenant's way more costly than a bad landlord. Yeah, but I can piss the tenant off, but yeah. landlord could impact my day-to-day life every single day. Well, not really. It's harder and harder to get rid of tenants these days mm. and having a landlord – like I had a ball breaker in, when I was living in Adelaide mm. and she – when I look back on it, she was actually awesome for the owner. I 
I wish I had her as a property manager, but it didn't affect my day to day. It was just once a month or mm. something. That yeah. So I'm landlord. Yeah, I'm probably tenant because I can move them along, or I don't know. Like, mm. and I, coming and this is interesting because for me, if my landlord was really horrendous, it would really impact me, and I think it's a personality play as well. Yeah, yeah, because you did have a bad landlord. In your office. This oh gosh, that was the worst. Yeah, it did stress you out. It at did that time, it really. And then he was doing some unethical things, and I called him up, told him to shove it, and yeah. I'm not renewing the lease. And and these guys just here had him as well. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's the worst person I've ever met. Yeah. Well, they moved because of him. So yeah. Anyway, just um, talking our own stuff here. So yeah, there you go. All right, let's talk about health insurance versus not having it. Yes. Well. I saw a LinkedIn post last week from our good friends at Sky Insurance and that just woke me up once more and, I, and it just made complete sense to me. Are you talking about? Phil. Yeah. Phil's post on his mate. Yeah. So a friend of ours, Phil, who owns Sky Wealth, he's got a dear friend who's just had a diagnosis with pancreatic cancer mm. and we all know that cancer that no amount of money in the world can treat that no like you look at um steve jobs yeah same cancer he had i mean that's um that's not health insurance the way i was talking about oh sorry so yep let's just kick that out <laughs> no we'll, no we'll, yeah no help, we'll, we'll leave yeah. it because it's yeah. just a reminder that life is real Correct. and you need to protect yeah. your family if you can't work but yeah so health insurance um look i think your health is the most important thing to you mm. you've got to protect it it's more important than your car yeah it, it really is. Now it's just a matter of while you're fiddling around. Mm. It's just a matter of what you need to prioritize in your life for that insurance based on your lifestyle. Yeah. So my view on private health insurance, it is a luxury because it does cost, and not everyone can afford it. Yeah. So you've got to look at the kind of we'll just use age thirty. If you are under age thirty and you're in good health and you earn under $90,000 as a single person, you probably can get away without having it. Yep. Because you've got to realize, guys, like private health insurance, the main reason you need to pay for it is not for the extras. It's not for the optical. It's not for the dental. It's not for the physio. It's not for the pharmaceutical stuff. It is if you have an accident or illness and you need to have some elective surgery, you will skip the public waiting list. It's a hybrid system in Australia. I primarily only have my private health insurance for elective surgery. So why are you saying under 30 years of age? Because age 30 is when the lifetime health cover loading starts. So if you take a policy out after age 30, you'll pay more up to 10%. Right. So you're, you're taking it out before you hit 30. Is yes. That's basically rule. Yeah. But- for anyone who's got my book, and it's also in the Facebook group, just search private health insurance in the files section. It's on page 334 and it's also in the Facebook group so you don't have to buy the book. But it's got a – see this chart here, John? I can. Yeah, it's got like, are you under 30 years old? No. Do you uh, – and I've, you know, I follow the no, so I'm over 30. Do you earn over 90K as a single or 180 as a couple? I hit no. Are you happy with the lifetime health cover loading? Yes, I'm happy with it. Do you want options when it comes to your health treatment or do you have ongoing health concerns? If you pay no, it leads you to you are happy to pay more on private health insurance later 
If you put yes, if you want options when it comes to your health or treatment, uh, you may need to consider private health insurance. Yeah. So what I want to say is if you earn over the $90,000 a year, if you do not have private health insurance, you will get a Medicare levy surcharge tax, which yeah. is an extra tax that you'll have to pay each year for not having private health insurance. Mm. And usually it works out the wash up with you paying $1,500 a year for a policy and the difference between tax might only be $300. There's an example in the book. So really you're getting private health insurance for $300. Yeah, yeah. So if you want a philosophical view that I'm in Australia, if I get sick, I go to hospital, I don't need the cover. Yeah. Awesome. But don't whinge and moan if you're in pain and you actively decline the cover because pain doesn't mean urgent in the medical system. Mm. I've got a friend had pain for years, back pain. Oh, well, go on the waiting list. You know, you only get rushed in and sorted if it's life-threatening, critical. So it really is a luxury and it is complex. So Yeah, and I must say I only took it up in my late 20s. Yeah. Uh, But I was putting money aside for some medical issues if they if they arose yeah that logic i think it's um not amazing logic yes because you really only want private health insurance if you have a significant medical event or you know like i'll I'll use a wild example my ankle surgeries i use the private system so the doctor that i go to only operates in private yeah so i can't get him in public yeah there are a lot of awesome private doctors that, you know, my wrist specialist, he said to me, look, I mainly do private, but if you get your hand chopped off one weekend, you'll get me or two of my colleagues in New South Wales yeah. come put your hand back yeah, up. So yeah. it's not to say that you can't get good doctors. There's awesome doctors. Mm. Like we know that there's awesome doctors in the public system. But what I'm saying is I have elective surgery, need my ankle fixed. I go to the surgeon, he opens his diary, can you do next Thursday? Yep, go in, pay out of pocket three grand. Health fund covers the hospital bill. Private hospital, North Shore private, I think it's about five grand a night to stay in there. But what if, John, there was a, this is the all, and these are insurance is the what ifs yeah. and they catch yeah. the outliers. Yeah, that's right. So what if there was a complication I had to spend four days in the hospital yeah. and I was self-insured? Well, that little kitty that I've saved up, 5, 10, 15, 20 grand, yeah, it's gone. that's gone in an instant. Yeah. But it's like we insure our homes for total loss, mm. fire, flood, destroyed. Yep. We don't heaps insure our home. Like when I got broken into and they took two laptops, sure, I claimed a $500 excess, give me the new laptops. Along with the TV that they supposedly stole. No, <laughs> that's ridiculous. But what I'm saying is, you don't buy insurance for the small little things. You buy it to catch the big things that you can't plan for yeah. that will destroy you financially. Yeah, good way to look at it. So with all that, if you want to look at private health insurance, look at the Facebook group. Yeah. There's a chart in there or, on, or in the book. Uh, so I would rather have it, but I totally get that it's a luxury um, and yeah. Yeah, you factor it into the cost of running your life, you would have thought. Absolutely. Here's one, travel first or family first. So a lot of people in their 20s haven't mm. started families and done all that stuff. What are you doing, John? Yeah, no, nah, definitely travel first for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And generally, and I'm probably speaking out of school, but most people wouldn't start a family in their early 20s, so that's when they probably should be travelling. Mm. Oh, I do, but yeah, yeah, life's a bell curve. Yeah, it is. Yeah, no, <laughs> you, can't, <laughs> you can't beat the experience of travelling mm. on your own or with friends or with your partner. Mm. No kids. I've, yeah, I've kind of, I haven't done the travel thing. Well, I do a lot of ad hoc travel. I haven't yeah. done much of Europe. But, yeah, I probably would like to do that before I have a family Yeah. Um, just for the practicalities. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's just whatever works. Like I know people that they had family early. Yes. And that was a real financial pinch because it is. And now the kids are growing up, their careers have grown, they've started to get money. Mm. Even, you know, during COVID, people were having the six months off and traveling around Australia and doing all that stuff. So. Yeah. It can happen. Yeah. Look, and, and if you reverse engineer the numbers, like if you do have kids when you're 20, 21, 22, they're almost out of your hair by early 40s. You still should be fit and healthy to go and do some cool travel. Yeah. So it's just about timing really, timing yep. and money. That's what life is about. Mm. Okay, John, cash for cars or getting a car loan? Well, yeah. Look, if someone walked in today and said, hi, John, I'm an employee, work down the road, earn 65, 70 grand a year, I need a new $20,000 Mazda. Yeah. What do I do, Johnson? What do I do? Lucky you gave me that scenario because that's a no-brainer, that's cash. Every day of the week, cash for me. Yep. Uh, But do as I say, not what I do. Uh, As a business owner, I've always had most times loans for my car. Um, but not personal cars. Yeah. I, um, in some instances, if you're an employee and you are using your car a fair bit for work, yeah. a Novated lease can wash up to be more cash flow and tax effective. Yeah. Uh, speak with your accountant. Pay your accountant $300 to crunch the numbers. Trust me, it's mm. worth doing. It is. I did that when I had a Novated lease. Yeah. For me, my view is now just save up and pay cash for cars. Um, even cars, you know, that I might use for work, I would yep, pay even cash. Even you're a business owner? Yeah. Yep. So I'm a business owner. I still pay cash for cars. Yeah. Now, the reason I do cash for cars is because I am a spender and it's easier to say I can afford $600 a month. Yeah. That's easy. Yeah. But $30,000 a year or whatever it is, that's a lot to save up. mm so it actually slows me down and I end up spending less money. Yeah, no, I like you. And I don't like the vibe of having debt hanging over me Yeah, that is for consumables. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it comes at a good time because my lease is actually up on my work vehicle in three months. So right. I'm but just, you do a lot of Ks. Well, not as many as I used to. Right. Yeah, I mean, but anyway, um, what about cash for comment? <laughs> We can do that on the podcast. <laughs> uh, it's not regulated. Actually, you know, I, I had dinner once in Parliament House in Canberra at the time with the Minister of Communications. Oh, yeah. And I said, what's the go with podcasting? Can I say whatever I want? He goes, Wild West, do what you want. <laughs> really? There you go. I won't give any names. But um, look, I just think, and, you know, Vince and I have had discussions about this till the cows come home. Yes. Where he's categorically get a car loan. He does, yeah. It's interesting. Um, now, what I would say is if you are getting a car loan, I want you to do this because it's all about slowing you down. One, 
try and put a 20% deposit towards the car. Yep. So you will have to put some money in. And generally what that will mean is that throughout the life of the car, if you need to sell it and pay off the debt, if your situation changes, hopefully by putting that 20% deposit down, yep. the car will be worth the same amount as the loan. Mm, unless it's Toyota. Well, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I got a Toyota, John. I got a Toyota Sport. Um, <laughs> happens to have a big L on the front though. Um, so I want you to do 20% down payment if you can. Good idea. I don't want you to have a car loan for more than four years. Oh. I want it paid off within four years. I want you to make sure that the monthly repayment is not more than 1% of your net household income. Mm-hmm. So what do I mean by that? If your net household income, and this is just bush maths, guys, is $60,000 after tax, 1% of $60,000 is $600. Just make sure 20% in, four years, no more than $600 a month. Just have some type of parameters. parameters. That's good. I like that. If in doubt, pay cash. I'll get Rach to be kind enough if she can, please. Thanks, Rach. Just to put a link in the show notes around all this stuff with cars. Yeah. Okay. So what about a hybrid of this? That that employer walks through the door, mm. says, I want a 20 grand car. I need it to run around. It needs to be reliable because I'm doing a fair few Ks. I've only got 10 grand. I need it tomorrow. Can I get a 10 grand car loan? Do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean- I'm, I'm just like, creating yeah, content. I here. know. It's, look, I probably still wouldn't put more than 20% in. Right. So, can't be half pregnant. Be twenty percent pregnant. No, but we've yeah. agreed that as an employee, we should be not having a loan at all. Yeah, well, that's what I do. I, yeah, like I, do, yeah, I, I, I'm less like I was when I first started in finance and doing all this personal finance crap. I was very, very hard line mm. on car loans. Yeah, but I, you know, with clients, I'm trying to change their habits and behaviours. Yeah. I would rather lose the car loan war, the battle, to yeah. win the greater war of controlling their spending. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, right. look, if I just want to say we just all need to slow down with cars. A lot of people saying, oh, you can't buy a house in your 20s and all that. Look, I could list out probably 10 friends now who have bought a first home that was six, seven dollars $700,000. Mm. But guess what? They didn't have a car loan. No. It just yeah. slows your cash flow and it just slows your servicing and it feels better to drive a car that you own with cash. We had that one listener um, in Adelaide, Harriet. Hello, how are you? Just trying to remember her name. She came to the Adelaide show six months before that. She wrote in and we answered it on the show. She said, should I sell my car, get a piece of crap, quote unquote, cheaper car, yes. piece of crap, $5,000. You can get a lot of good car for $5,000. Yeah, you can. Um, and then- put the value of it into a um, home. Yeah, Brana. Her family said, you're crazy. At the event, met the mum, met her. Yeah. Best thing she ever done yeah. was to sell the car, cash, get the equity out of the car or whatever and do a home. Yep, very good, Harriet. Um, yeah. But so, all that to say. So metaphorically speaking, slow down. It just slows you down. Yeah. Like you can't, it's really hard to walk in to a situation that you spend twenty or thirty thousand dollars of your hard-earned savings. It's easier to walk into a situation. Oh, I can do six hundred dollars a month. That's easy, and it affects your lending too. So yeah. that that's the downside. And I would say if you do have a mortgage and you want to look at 
borrowing off your home to get the car, I'd still get a car loan as opposed to a mortgage because at least we're dialing into that behavioral side where you that four-year car loan, it's isolated and it yeah. will be paid off in four years. Yeah. Or if you start to split a mortgage and you've got all this intention, oh, I'll just make sure I pay this off in four years, yeah. wink, wink. Doesn't happen. Where the mortgage is set to 30 years, even if you split it out, it's just more certainty. Yeah, it's an expensive car over 30 years. Yeah, so do what you want. It's just what I would do and what I would suggest and we'll put a link in the show note. What do we got for time? We've probably got time for a couple more. Do you want to have a... Look at any one of those, Johns, that jump out. Okay. So it's a bit of a holiday thing as well. Cheaper education for kids with cash for holidays versus more exe education with no cash for holidays. I can't. I don't know what I would rather. Um, I'd rather both, but we can't have everything. Just no kids and holidays for you? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So for me, I've, I've actually got a hybrid of both on this, which is a bit of a boring answer. We do pay for education but not extreme amount just because of our schooling choices but also have some cash aside for holidays. But blanket approach for majority of people, if they ask for my opinion, I would say cheaper education and cash for holidays for an experience. Why is that? Um, very it's – a, it's a controversial topic, this one, the whole private versus public education but – I, I don't believe that there's a large requirement for private education when the public system in a lot of cases is is just as good. Now, it might sound uh, hypocritical because I'm doing it, but it's a case-by-case basis in the schools in your area. Mm. So what would you do though? Oh, look, I I think, you know, I don't have kids and there's no kids on the horizon in the next 10 minutes that I know of. Yeah. But what I would probably do, and please take my comments with 15 bags of salt, I'd probably aim for public primary school. Yeah. And then kick that decision down the road. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) which is quite common to do, obviously. But, uh, yeah, if you can afford to do both, then happy days. Um, But priorities in education is, is different for everyone. The type of kids you've got is, is also very different, well, and, whether they're academic. And whether you want uh, traditional religious values that you Correct. want your kids in. Like it's, yeah. And that's what I mean. Like I think it's just make sure you can afford it. That's yeah, what I would say. That's right. And I know people that have forked out extreme amounts of money on loans to put their kids through private education mm. um, and a lot of it to no avail or not, not shouldn't say to no avail, but just they look back and say, well, that was a lot of money. Did I really get the benefit? All right, two last quick ones. DI reno or pay someone? Pay someone. Yeah. For me, <laughs> if you're a handyman, absolutely go for it or a handy woman, go for it. Yeah. But my time is more important to be doing other things and I'm not handy. Mm. You? I think I see this as um, project manager yourself. Yes. Or get someone to do everything. I mean, if you were a trade and you were <laughs> rocking up to someone's reno and they were the project manager had no idea, you'd be yeah. pulling your hair out. Correct. But I just it's it's all going to be on your budget. Yeah. Usually the DIY reno is probably more of a cash flow thing. We'll do the kitchens first and we'll, we'll kitchen and we'll do the bathrooms and then we'll do the ensuite. Then like I would say if you had the capacity and you had maybe the equity and you could get a loan, just get it all done 
mm. one and done baby. Factor it in. Yeah. But the DIY, I think it is more of a, a cash flow thing. Mm. Yeah. Last one, bigger salary but more responsibility. This is uh, a good one versus a job with less salary but less responsibility. Well, what's your priorities? What do, what do you want? Do you want more cash to have more choices in life but take on the workload? Yeah, it's um, it's it's funny one because this is just topical to me because you know we are in promo season for the sort your career out book, and I wrote in this that you know you might be at a job and it's a good job, it's cruisy, you like the I don't know lack of responsibility, but you do want more money, and you go and get the review and you get the increase, but it's that be careful what you wish for because yeah. I don't know I think it is circumstantial like. If you were, for example, in university and you're studying and you're working at a pub or club or something part-time, you're literally just working to cash flow your life while you study. But So I think the difference is with this question, high salary, more responsibility, that, that is a career job. I'm driven. I'm focused. This is my career. Mm. Where the other side is, look, I'm not too ambitious. I just want to go to work, go home. I'm happy with what I've got. My kids are fed and watered. Everything's awesome. I love the cruisiness of life. Or I'm studying and it's a temporary thing. It's a job, go to work, go home. I've got friends that would rather the job with less salary and less responsibility yeah. legitimately. Which is a lot what we're saying in the community um, today. Wasn't yeah. it? Like a lot of them said that. So I go yeah. switch off and my day's done sort of thing. So depends what you go for. Like um, I start again in my 20s and I'm probably all for the more responsibility, higher income. And I think, you know, in rounding out this episode, would you rather, I think you need to ask yourself, what do you want? And if you don't know what you want, you've got to keep digging to get that bedrock of, okay, this is what I'm actually about. This is what I want. Yeah. Whether it is the health insurance thing or the um, cash for cars or fixed versus variable home loans. I mean, with with the car thing, you can always, um, if you go and buy a car with cash, you know, save up 10 grand. That's such a lot of money. It can take so long to save $10,000. And then you save another five grand. Well, then you sell that car probably for nine grand, put your money in, you just slowly upgrade your cars and always just putting $500 a month into a car account only and just kind of have your own pool there. But if you want to bought a car with $10,000 cash and you're cruising around and you didn't like that, you can always sell it and go get a better car and get a loan. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's really hard to reverse out the other way and go get a car loan and then go, crap, I don't like this. Sell it. Because yeah. you do your ass. Yeah. So yeah, understanding what do you want? Your, yeah, and understanding your priorities and list them in order of preference. So Absolutely. If you are a car person, then knock yourself out. Totally, totally, totally. Well, John, right. where can we find you? Uh, just here. Just here. <laughs> no. Um, where can you find me? You can find me on My Millennial Property. Oh, it's a property podcast. It is. Uh, we talk about all things investments and also owner rocks. The great Emily Wallace is on there with me. So last week you did the shares versus property rebuttal episode. Oh, yes. Did you listen? I did. What do you think? A bit weak. Oh. You, d- you guys didn't do any prep. Well, <laughs> we actually, truth be known to everyone out there still listening today, 
we didn't get any prep. We were told 10, in, 10 minutes prior, oh, by the way, these guys have done a shares v property. Can you rebut, please? That's right, but that wasn't a do it now. Well, that's the instructions I got. Really? Anyway. We'll have to take that up with head office. It sounded as though <laughs> it was pretty well prepared from what I can tell. Okay. Anyway, what's the feedback been? I don't know. Mm. We'll wait yeah. to see if your show gets cancelled or not. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, but anyway. Well, um, until next week, we'll uh, see you soon, John. All right. See you, friends. Bye. Bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.